Open your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is where we're going to begin this morning. I do hope that you have a copy of the Word of God with you. Uh, If you do not have a copy of the Word of God, whether in print or on your device, uh, please uh, do not feel awkward about that. Uh, We would love to give you a copy of the Word of God. You can stop by the Welcome Center, uh, pick up uh, just a Bible there if it's yours to keep. Uh, We'd love to give that to you, just our way of making sure you have a copy of God's Word before you. Um, Or if you have a device with you, your phone or your tablet or something like that, uh, you can go on your app store, download our app, North Goodland BC, in your app store. Uh, There's a Bible feature there as well that you can follow along. So we encourage you uh, to to make sure you have a copy of God's Word with you. Uh, It is is our foundation. It is where we find our strength, our wisdom, our guidance. Uh, Everything we know about God, we have learned from the Word of God. And so we go to that as our source uh, here as a church. And so 1 Corinthians 13, uh, we're going to get there in just a moment. And I just want to say, uh, I absolutely love um, the way we end that song. That is just so amazing. Uh, there's nothing more, uh, to me anyway, there's nothing more enjoyable uh, than hearing the voices of God's people worship him. And uh, just hearing us as a church sing out that way is just an amazing blessing to me. And uh, I hope you have worshiped the Lord this morning. I hope that he has encouraged your heart and your mind. And I pray that you are excited for what God has for you as we get into uh, the next part of our series. Uh, This is week two of a four-week series that we started uh, called The Good Work. And uh, we started this series again last week, and we'll go through it for the next two weeks. Um, And I'm I'm truly excited as we continue through this, uh, because I believe that everyone in this room, as a follower of Christ, you've been called to accomplish a good work. You've been called to accomplish a work for Christ and for His glory. You've been called to a good work. Work, And I believe that we'll discover that as we allow ourselves to be led by the Word of God and as the Spirit of God leads, guides, and directs through that. Uh, we talked last week about saying that, the, the, that saying that to start a good work that God is leading you to accomplish, you must consider kind of three main keys. There were kind of three keys that we kind of started off with last week to kind of get us going and understanding what burdens us. Uh, what is that burden that you carry? What is that specific burden that you have that, for that good work that God is calling you to accomplish? And maybe it's something completely individual to you. Maybe it's something that someone else has talked to you about that they're interested in, and, and you've kind of gotten a little bit of a passion from that as well, and, and now you're kind of finding yourself with some other people getting excited to do this good work. Uh, the t- first place to start in understanding this good work is to ask that question, what burdens me? What am I compassionate about? What do I have, who do I have compassion for? Uh, what do I see as a need? What is a weight that I carry around me or, or see around me as I carry through this life? Uh, we said it last week that to understand our burden, to really get an idea of what that looks like, we must first pray. We must first kneel to pray. We must ask God, God, what is that burden? What is that area that you're opening doors of opportunity where I can minister to someone? I can show your love and your grace to someone. And then once we've knelt to pray and we've kind of spent time in prayer and asking God for that opportunity to intervene in those areas, once we've spent time understanding that, we know what burdens us, we've prayed about the opportunity, we've asked God to work as only he can, then we must stand and act. And I said it last week, I think for some of us, that's the hardest part. The the hardest part about starting a good work is starting a good work. Uh, Maybe you've never been there before. I've been there. 
I've had all kinds of burden. I've prayed about it. God has opened doors. I knew clearly this is what God would want me to do. It wasn't some, you know, burning bush experience. I didn't have this crazy writing on the wall, nothing like that. It was just a clear burden from God's word. And then I would pray, God opened doors and he opened doors. And I'd go, okay, God, thank you for opening the doors. If I have a chance, I'll go ahead and step through that at some point, maybe if I feel like it, but thanks for opening the door. See, the hardest thing about starting a good work is to just start. And we talk ourselves out of it so often. We start telling ourselves in, in agreement with the enemy all these lies that we tell ourselves. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't know enough. Now, so-and-so, now, if so-and-so was called to do a good work, man, that would make sense. But, but I'm not them. I'm not as talented as them. I can't sing like them. Man, Brother Dave rocked, just blew that out of the water this morning. That was awesome, man. I loved it. And every time he sings, I have to remind myself about uh, my mom used to sit in the back and always comment about how much she just loved his singing and when he would get up and worship the Lord that way. And, uh, man, but he was just so, just watching him do that, I was thinking, God, why can't I do that? Like, how come I can't sing like that? I used to always joke about Pastor Tom being able to sing a solo. I mean, just, just amazing. Put the mic down, open the Bible, and preach an amazing message. And I used to sit and get so, mm, that's just not fair. That's not fair. You're not supposed to have both. You either preach or you sing. You can't do both. That's not how that works. But many of us have done this. We feel God lay a burden on our heart. We go to him in prayer. We seek a clear open doors. And then we start talking ourselves out of it because I'm not like so-and-so. But I'm not as gifted as them. I'm not as smart as them. I don't know as much as, as, as they know. Another thing would be maybe we think, you know what? My burden for this thing isn't as great as so-and-so's burden for that. Like, that's an important burden. This is not as important. And the minute we start gauging that, we've completely missed the point of how God leads us individually. I'll give you an example. Someone may think, man, to have a burden for the poor, you know, for the impoverished, for those that are really in need, that's a strong and great burden to have. Maybe you have a burden for kids. What I mean is you just want to see kids grow up to know the Lord. You just have a passion for kids to know God's word so that they can grow and mature and and be the followers of Christ that God has called them to be. And you might talk yourself out of doing that because, well, it's not like I'm feeding the poor or anything. It's not like I'm reaching these people that are stuck in addiction. Now, those are great burdens to carry. No, they're all great burdens because they're the burden that God has laid on your heart. We can't start doing this. We can't start saying, well, if I had a burden for that, then that would make a real big difference. No, you make a difference by following God and the burden he's laid on your heart for the people he's called you to reach. That's how you make a difference. That's the title of the message this morning, making a difference. Making a difference. And you know how you make a difference? You pray with the burden that God has given you, and you stand up and you act. It's not hard. It's not difficult. But we've got to stop telling ourselves all these lies, all these things that we've convinced ourselves of, these weaknesses in our lives. And when we realize that our weaknesses actually make us more available to be used. You might say, what are you talking about? See, what we do is we think if I was stronger in this, then I could do that. If I was more like this person who's strong in this area, then I could do that. But the truth is, the more we're honest about our weaknesses before God, the more we're honest with other people about our weaknesses, the more usable we become. The more honest we are about our faults and our failures and our shortcomings, and I'm not saying you wear t-shirts, right, that that tell everybody all your shortcomings and all your faults and failures. You ain't got to get up on church and just tell everybody what's going on. What I'm saying is just be real with yourself between you and God. Admit that you have weaknesses in some area. 
and to be willing to in conversation with people to be honest that you struggle too, that I struggle too. And the minute we do that, it's amazing how God begins now to open doors. And now in our weakness, we are actually made strong. It's almost like the Bible tells us that or something. It's almost like that's what God's word says. But as human beings, what do we want to do? We want to hide all those faults and failures, right? We want to put out all our strengths. I mean, we, we, we want to make sure we put the best image forward. And man, to really do the good work that God is calling us to do, we need to understand our strengths, but we also need to understand our weaknesses and then be okay in our weaknesses. And be okay to admit that I don't have it all figured out. Anybody here willing to admit they ain't got it all figured out? Ain't got it all figured out? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay, keep them up for just a second. Look around. Look around. Everybody look around. Some of you aren't looking around. You should be looking around. Okay. Here's what I want you to notice. Did you see the age of the people that had their hands raised? It wasn't just young people. It wasn't just people in their 20s and 30s that are like, yeah, I ain't got it figured out yet. And people in their 50s, 60s, and 70s are like, nope, I've got it figured out. Do you notice that even older people are saying, yeah, I'm still there. I'm still struggling. I'm still trying to figure this thing out. Because no one here is perfect. And that's the whole point. We all agree with that. We all know that. But when it comes to individualizing it and admitting our own weaknesses, man, we struggle with that. We think, no, I got to be strong. I got to put that image out there. And I want to really help us to understand that to really make a difference, we have to understand that it's not really our work in the first place. Because I'm too weak to do the work by myself. I'm too weak to do it on my own. Let me say this too real quick as we kind of move through this. Maybe you're still sitting here this week. And last week I shared this. Maybe you don't know what that burden is yet. Maybe you've been praying all week, God, show me the burden. God, what is that specific thing that you want me to work on? What is that specific thing that you want me to tackle? What is that specific people or or individual or situation you want me to go and, and minister to? Maybe you don't know yet. Maybe you're still sitting there like, I just, I really don't have a burden for any one specific thing. I have a burden for a lot of things. I have a burden for a lot of areas. Man, I really don't have that one burden for that one thing greater than anything else. And as we said last week, I want to encourage you again. If you don't know that specific burden, I can tell you one burden that we're all as followers of Christ called to carry. And it's greater than every other burden. And here's what it is. To reach those that don't know Christ. So if you're sitting there, you're like, man, I just don't know what specific area. That's fine. Keep praying on that. Keep seeking him on that. But I can tell you this. We all, as followers of Christ, are called to reach those who don't know Christ with the gospel. And so maybe your starting place right now is just, God, give me opportunity to reach someone for Christ. Open doors and opportunities to preach your gospel and to share your truth with them. And through that God, I pray that you would show me and lead me in what specific burden maybe I'm meant to carry, what specific area I'm meant to maybe walk out. And so if you don't know what area it is, don't beat yourself up. Don't tear yourself down. Just begin to pray and say, God, show me and give me wisdom in this. But if you do know what good work God is calling you to do, whether it's just reaching the lost and just that general burden, that general call we all bear, or maybe there is a specific thing beyond that that you feel God is leading you to with children or addicts or whatever it might be, then my encouragement to you is to realize that it's not your good work to do. It's not really you doing this good work. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we said to go there, so hopefully you're there by now. One of the biggest things we do is we carry the wrong wrong idea, the wrong perception about the good work we're called to do. We think it's us that does the good work, and then we think it's us that creates the results. We think it's all about us as we do the good work at times, and then we think it's all about us to get the results, to make it happen to make it happen. 
When we say make a difference, I do mean we can make a difference, but I think it's found in giving up control of the results. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 4. Paul, writing here to the church of Corinth, says this, For a while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos. Are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Verse 7, So then neither is he that plants anything, neither is he that waters, but God that gives the increase. Now he that plants and he that waters are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. You, for laborers together with God, you are God's husbandry and you are God's building. Now I want to focus on this again here because I think what Paul is saying is so true. When he goes to verse 7, he says it again. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that gives the increase. As we talk about this idea of making a difference in the good work that God has called us to, we have to understand and we have to make sure we're clear that the good work that we are doing is actually God's work. That the good work that we are called to do is actually God's work. Paul is clear that he, along with the other apostles and leaders in the church, were co-workers or fellow laborers with God in this field, in this harvest we are working in the harvest that God has produced by giving the increase or growth from the seed of the gospel. Man, in the church at Corinth at this time, the church was divided. Some people are like, well, I follow the teaching of Apollos. I follow him as my leader. I think he's great. He's really charismatic. He's a great teacher. I like him a lot. I like his style. He's really cool. Some people are like, well, I'm of Cephas or of Paul. I'm of Cephas would be Peter. I'm of Cephas or I'm of Paul. And I, I follow those individuals because they are just the ones that got it really all together. And there was actually division over the church about which leader you tended to elevate over another leader. And Paul's just completely blown away by this. And he says, what are we talking about here? They're all the same in that they're all working with each other to accomplish this goal for God's work. But it's only God that gives the increase. And so they're really nothing compared to what God is doing. Now, does this mean that their work wasn't important? Does this mean that their work didn't matter? Does this mean that they just they didn't mean anything to God? No, God says they'll be rewarded for their labor. It matters what they're doing. But in comparison to what God is doing, we aren't doing really anything. Now, I want us to understand this now. We do the good work. We plant the seeds because God has given us the gift to do that. We water. What is watering? Encouraging and nurturing somebody that's a new believer. We are called to do that. But listen, we cannot get ourselves in the place of God and think it's all about us and that we're doing these things. Only God gives the increase. And so as you're sharing Christ with somebody and they're not responding, they're not receiving the gospel, they're not really at that point, that point yet, we don't need to carry that burden of results. We don't need to beat ourselves up and say, well, yeah, but if I would have said it this way, or if I would have did it this way, or if I would have used this illustration, or if I would have done it this way. Man, only God gives the increase. And we should be extremely thankful for that, by the way. Because when you came to know Christ, it wasn't under the wisdom of men that you came to know Christ. It wasn't under the preaching of someone's way to creatively kind of form it. You got talked into it. No, the word of God was given. The Spirit of God worked in your heart, convicting you of sin and righteousness. God himself allowed you the opportunity to receive Christ. You chose Christ. You, you found salvation in Christ. He saved you. He loved you first. 
And then you come to know Christ, and he begins to change and make you new. See, we should be thankful for that, because if it was based in mankind's wisdom or our ability to talk someone into something, then we would be talked out of it just as quickly. And it's God who gives the increase. The Apostle Paul is so clear on this. We all have a role to fill. Do you notice, too, that he doesn't say that I'm better because I planted the church than Apollos who just teaches you? Do you notice that? He doesn't say, well, yeah, I'm better than Apollos because I'm the one that actually started this church. Apollos just came along later and is kind of teaching you guys. I'm better than him because I started the church. He's just teaching you. No, he says we're all equal. We're all equally doing this work together. And again, this is why we have to remind ourselves, no matter what specific burden you carry for someone, that burden is not greater or of less importance than someone else's burden in Christ. We're all working together for the same goal, that somebody would come to know Christ and then grow in Christ, that they would go out and that they would lead someone to Christ who would then grow in Christ. We're all working together as the body of Christ to see the gospel proclaimed to the world around us. And if we don't get this right, if we think it's all about us, and if we think it's all about us making the results happen, then we are going to cripple ourselves when we don't see the things happen that we want to have happened. We're going to handicap ourselves, and we're going to quit the good work that God has called us to because we have not built it upon the right foundation. Once we understand that it is him who is doing the good work, that it is him who is working through us to accomplish these things, once we have that foundation laid strong and sure, now we can move forward with the good work that God has called us to accomplish. Because now we realize there's a freedom. There's a freedom in this. That I, all I'm called to do is what I'm called to do. And that's a beautiful thing. You ever, you ever talk yourself into that you're called to do more than you're called to do? And then you can't do that, and then you get discouraged and disappointed and defeated, and you want to quit? Man, but when we keep it in perspective, when we realize, no, I'm just called to do what I'm called to do, and God has equipped you to do what you've been called to do, then we don't carry the weight of these other things that weigh us down and discourage us and burden us in a negative sense. And I've talked to so many believers, so many believers that have struggled with this in the idea of witnessing. Because maybe they grew up in a church where it was more about the number of converts, not how many times you shared your faith. I've had people tell me this before. Well, yeah, you know, I, I've shared, I share my faith all the time, but, uh, you know, only a handful of people have ever come to know Christ in times that I've shared my faith. And they say it in a way of, like, defeated, like, I did something wrong. I've been in churches, not ours, but when I was in college, I was at a church where we used to go out and do these kind of, it was called Grow, and it was like an evangelism-type program. We'd go out every week and do these things, and we'd come back together and we'd share reports of what happened. And one of the first things they would ask is, how many of you led someone to the Lord? And some hands would go up, and we'd praise God with them. But then they wouldn't ask, how many of you shared your faith tonight? And see, that's how we set these precedents in our thinking. The Bible calls us to lead people to Christ, to share our faith, yes. But only God gives the increase. And if you start carrying the burden that he's called to carry, that God is called to carry, you're going to burn yourself out. You're going to quit. And don't do that to yourself. Do what God has called you to do. And so now that we understand kind of how to have the burden... We, we understand we have this burden from this, for this situation or this, this need in the community around me. We've prayed about it. Doors are opening up. We stand to act. Once we start acting, now we've got to ask ourselves the questions, how do I maintain the good work? Now that I know it's his work that he's doing through me, what am I called to do to maintain staying focused in the good work? I want to give you just some simple points this morning. Let's jump back into the book of Nehemiah. So if you have your Bible with you, go back to the Old Testament. Go back to Nehemiah, and we're going to kind of pick up in Nehemiah where we were last week. 
And again, as I said last week, this isn't so much a verse-by-verse study through the book of Nehemiah. Uh, we're kind of looking at the story of Nehemiah as an example of some things that we can apply to our lives today as a, as a principle of some things that we can learn and how we can do what God has called us to do in the same way that Nehemiah followed God's leading in his life. And again, just for review, uh, Nehemiah is not a priest. He's not a prophet. Uh, he is a layperson. Uh, he is coming to uh, a realization that there is a need for the walls of Jerusalem to be rebuilt. And we said this last week, Ezra and Nehemiah are contemporaries. Okay, they're, they're working around the same time. Uh, we said it before, too, that Nehemiah actually in the, the history of the Old Testament, uh, in our Bible, Nehemiah is about maybe later beginning part, early middle part of our Old Testament. Uh, the, the things that are happening in Nehemiah actually are happening historically towards the end of the Old Testament, the end of that period of time. Um, the children of Israel have been in captivity. They've been released. They've been allowed to return home. Uh, they find out, we read in Nehemiah chapter 1 last week, that they got back to Jerusalem. The city walls were destroyed. They're trying to rebuild the temple. They're trying to rebuild the walls, but there's not much success there. The city is left wide open uh, to anyone around them that can come in and pillage and take whatever they want. And so Nehemiah is made aware of this burden in chapter 1. Uh, we read it last week. He is burdened. His heart is broken for his people. And when we get into what we're going to look at this morning, I want to see how Nehemiah took steps to not just act, but to maintain what God had called him to do. And so how do we maintain the good work? Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 1. Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 1. Hopefully you're there with me. I'm just going to read a couple of verses here. Okay, Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 1. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan... In the twelfth year of Artaxerxes, the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been before time sad in the presence, or in his presence. Now remember we said before, what's Nehemiah's role? What's his job? He is a cupbearer. And we think that's just basically a taste tester. That's not really what it is. If somebody was going to poison the king, uh, they would put it in his food or his drink. And so Nehemiah's job is to taste these things before the king does so that if it's poisoned, Nehemiah will die, but the king will live. Again, I don't think there was a long list of applicants for this job. I don't think it was something that was real popular. At least it wouldn't be for me anyway. Maybe for you, you'd find that interesting. I don't know. I'm not a daredevil like that. I tried some of those chilies yesterday, and I swear some of those were poisoned. But they weren't really poisoned, but it sure tasted like it. Uh, just a little too hot for my liking. But when you think about this idea of what we're saying here, Nehemiah wasn't just a cup bearer. He wasn't just a taste tester. Uh, to be the position that Nehemiah was, he would have had to be a man of great integrity, great character, trusted. I mean, if you've got a guy that's tasting your food for you and then telling you it's not poisoned, you want to make sure, A, he's not lying to me, that he really did taste it, and he really does know it's not poisoned, and someone I can trust. And so Nehemiah was a man of seemingly great importance in the kingdom. He was somebody of great integrity and character. And so we covered that last week, and that's why in verse 1 it says that he's now before the king, and he's going to be bearing this load again. And as he comes before the king, in verse 1, it says that he was sad in the presence of the king. Verse 2. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of hearts. Then I was very sore afraid. And again, studying culture, uh, if you go before the king in a sad and kind of depressed-looking state, what might the king respond with? How might someone respond? Think about it in your own life. If you're going to work one day and you've got kind of a, just a, kind of a gloomy face, and I know no one ever goes into work with a gloomy face. We're always so excited to go to work. We're always so pumped and smiling and happy to show up at work. At least I know I am. 
But when you go into work and a coworker sees you, how might they respond to that? Someone give me an answer. How might you respond to somebody that looks sad? Ask them if everything's okay. Do you ever get sad because somebody else is sad? Somebody comes in with a bad mood or depressed and you're kind of, oh, that's a bummer. And you might have been smiling five seconds ago, but now their, their kind of situation influenced you to be a little sad. And so what is Nehemiah afraid of here? He's afraid, I can't go in the king's presence and make the king sad. I'm not supposed to do that. I'm not supposed to make him sad. I'm not supposed to cause him any heartache or trouble. And so he was afraid of how the king might respond to this in verse 3. So he was so afraid, and then it says, And said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchers, lies waste? And the gates thereof are consumed with fire. And he just opens up his heart. And what's Nehemiah's burden here? He's saying, listen, how could I be anything other than sad when this is the state of my people's home? This is the state of my father's sepulchers. It's like basically somebody went in and ransacked the graveyard of your family members. And they just destroyed everything. And they're just destroying all this stuff. And heritage is lost. History is lost. All these things are being lost. And Nehemiah's heart is broken. Verse 4. Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? The king looks at Nehemiah and says, What do you need? He says, So I prayed to the God of heaven. Now we're going to stop right there. We'll pick it up in just a moment in verse 5. And we talked a lot about this in last week's message, but the first thing we have to do to maintain the good work is to seek God faithfully. Now, I know we talked about praying last week, but now we're continuing to seek God faithfully to maintain the good work. Why do I need to seek God faithfully? We just covered this. Because it is truly his work in the first place. So if it's his work in the first place and it's his results, then I better be seeking him for wisdom, guidance, and direction as I move forward in the good work. Nehemiah understood this very, very well. We read last week in Nehemiah chapter 1. For God to work in the king's heart, Nehemiah prayed. He said, God, would you work and give me favor in the heart of the king? And here we see Nehemiah prayed again before speaking his request to the king. Isn't that interesting? He prayed in chapter 1, God, give me favor in the heart of the king. He gets before the king. The king says, what do you need? And Nehemiah doesn't just jump to his request. Now he's going to make a request, but he doesn't start there. He starts with what? So I prayed to God. And I think it's so important that before we speak, we pray. Can I give you a little word of advice to all of our couples here today? Whether you're dating or whether you're married, you want a happy, well, healthy. Let's use the word healthy. You want a healthy marriage? Before you speak to your spouse, pray. Because I can tell you this right now. Anytime I've ever said something that I shouldn't have said to my wife, it's because I wasn't praying. I just spoke. I just reacted. And when you just react, you get yourself in a lot of trouble. So let me encourage you, say a word of prayer. When you're talking to someone in a conversation, whether it's just a family member, a friend, or a coworker, and you can tell maybe this conversation is going a certain direction, man, I need to pray for wisdom. And when you read the book of Proverbs, there's so much there about our tongue and about how we speak to each other, things we say to each other. And I truly believe we will live much more peaceful lives, less conflict, less division, if we would learn to pray before we speak. If we would learn to pray before we speak. And again, I don't know, maybe, maybe this doesn't affect you or hit you where you are. But I know for me, man, this is, I, I need to do this daily. 
daily I need to be thinking about this. And so, again, maybe that doesn't hit home for you, but for me it just rings true that, man, we get ourselves in a lot less trouble, a lot less conflict if we'd pray and ask God for wisdom before we spoke. Because sometimes you're going to pray, God, give me the words to say, and I, don't, I can't explain to you how it happens, but you'll have a moving of the Spirit to say, Mm-mm, no, don't say nothing. I've been there. I've been there. I've been in a situation where I was so heartbroken over something, and I went to speak, and it's not this mystical thing or nothing weird about it. It's just God moving. And he says this in his word, doesn't he? With the Holy Spirit, you will have the ability to know what to say and when to say it. He tells his disciples this. Don't worry about what you're going to say before the Sanhedrin or the magistrates. I'm going to give you those things to say by the working of my Holy Spirit. And it's usually, in my experience, it's the word of God coming back to my remembrance, which he says in John, he will do that for us as well. And I was in this situation, and I tried to speak, and man, every time I went to say something, nothing came out, and I just cried in this situation, trying to say something. I would stop, compose myself, right, try to speak again, just cry. And I was getting so mad. It's like, this is dumb. Like, why am I crying? Like, I can't say anything. And then I looked back on it later, and I was so thankful that God gave me that wisdom that I wasn't even aware he was giving me, because saying anything would have done nothing. And there's times in our lives that God will give us the words to say, and then sometimes he'll say, no, you just need to be silent. And I really believe that when we pray before we speak, we'll have greater results in what we say and how we say it. Because sometimes it's not even what we say, it's the manner in which we say it. Here we see Nehemiah. He actually prays before he gives his request. But I want to back up a little bit here and kind of give a little bit of a kind of a bigger picture of setting here. Because we see, when we say that we need to seek God faithfully, I believe Nehemiah has been doing this ever since chapter 1. In Nehemiah 1.1, if you look at it real quick, we're not going to read it, but in Nehemiah 1.1, we read that the news about Jerusalem came to him in the month of Chislu. Chislu. So Nehemiah chapter 1, it talks about when they came to share with him, it was the 12th year of the king in the month of Chislu. Then in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 1, we read that it co- he comes before the king in the month of Nisan. Now, this isn't Nisan like the car company, okay? It's not that kind of Nisan, okay? It's not the car brand. But these are two different months, and it's also, it says, in the 12th year. So it's in the same 12th year of the king's reign. First, the news comes in the month of Chislu, and then in the month of Nisan. Roughly, depending on what you look at, and this varies a little bit, but most would agree that this comes roughly four months after 1-1. Nehemiah 1-1 happens. Four months later, roughly, Nehemiah 2-1 takes place, which I think gives us some great insight into our own understanding of seeking God faithfully as we pursue a good work. Think about this for a moment. Nehemiah receives this news that the city's in this horrible condition, and he prays, God, give me favor in the sight of the king. Four months later, Later, he's before the king. And he prays again before he makes his request. God, it's the same prayer. God, give me favor. And we don't know for sure it's the same prayer, but I would assume it's the same prayer. God, give me favor. Allow this to be glorifying to you. Help me to have the words to say. But I want you to think about this for a moment. Four months, Nehemiah sat dwelling on the situation of Israel, or of Jerusalem. Four months, he sat. Now, we don't know what he did for the four months. We don't know how he spent that time. But I believe he spent that time dwelling in God's presence and seeking God faithfully. There are two basic ideas as to why it was such a long wait. Some would suggest that his turn of attending upon the king did not come till that time. That it was basically a four-month rotation, if you will. And the next time he was going to be before the king was four months later. Or 
some have suggested that it was basically Nehemiah waiting for the right time, the right situation, the right opportunity. Some have even suggested that he went before the king before this time period, but maybe it wasn't the right time. We don't know exactly why there was four months. We can assume, we can make guesses, we can make educated guesses. But the key is there was a four-month window. I want us to think on that for a second because sometimes God will burden your heart for something and you'll pray for opportunity and you see God moving and you'll stand to act and then four months goes by. Now, not literally four months, but a time period goes by. And you're just waiting and you're seeking God. Like, God, when is this going to happen? When am I going to be able to do this? God, how can I? Why is it not happening yet? And then we got to be ready, though, because then when the time does come and the opportunity does present itself, we've got to be faithfully ready to walk through it. So here it's an interesting delay in the story of Nehemiah. Either way we look at the situation of the rest and the need for four months of a delay, I believe Nehemiah remained faithful to pray and he committed to the work. I believe he was faithful in prayer and committing to the work. And we see this because instantly he is still all about doing this work as soon as the opportunity arises. Sometimes God lays a burden on our heart and the opportunity is immediate to pray and act. Other times the burden is there, we pray, and the time to act is delayed. So can I encourage us to learn from Nehemiah to be patient and wait on the Lord. I'll give you two references to jot down if you're taking notes. I encourage you to study the Word of God on your own, obviously. Uh, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31 is a very popular verse that deals with this idea of being patient and waiting on the Lord. Isaiah 40 and verse 31. Psalm 27 and verse 14, another great reference for encouraging us to be patient and wait on the Lord. Isaiah 40, 31, Psalm 27, 14. See, the first thing we must do in maintaining a good work is to seek God faithfully. To seek God faithfully. The next thing we, I would encourage you to do as we're maintaining the good work, as we see from the story of Nehemiah, is to define the vision clearly. Define the vision clearly. Uh, Nehemiah 2 and verse 5. Let's continue in our reading. Verse 5, And I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may build it. You see, Nehemiah was not unaware of what was needed to be done. He thought on the need, think about this, for four months. So when the opportunity arose, he was able to speak to the direct need. If Nehemiah wasn't prepared, wasn't ready, and that opportunity came up, he might stumble over his words. Well, I mean, I don't really know what I need yet. Let me think about it, and I'll get back with you. But Nehemiah was ready and prepared to share the division directly and clearly. I truly believe this is so key for us today. We must define what it is that God is leading us to do. Again, if we are unaware of that specific burden that God has laid on our hearts, then we seek him and we set forth a clear vision of God. I may not know the specific version or uh, vision of what you've given me or the direct call, but I will tell you this, the general burden you've given me that I will define clearly is I need to go and make disciples. And isn't that amazing? What does Jesus give his disciples in the Great Commission? You could summarize that by saying what? Go and make disciples. Lead them to Christ, give them the gospel, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Go and make disciples. See, the vision that God gave us for his church is not a colluded one. It's not a complicated one. It is a clear and simple and concise one. Go make disciples. You see, God set the vision for his church. We don't set the vision for our church. He set the vision. We go make disciples. This is true individually. This is true corporately as a church. 
Now, how we make disciples and what ways we communicate that to those people, whether it be missions, local, all these things, obviously that all washes out. But the key is, have you sat down and actually defined the vision that God has given you, the clear-cut burden? Have you defined it clearly? And I'm not saying you need this catchy little statement, catchy little phrase. It's just understanding, simplify. What is it that God is calling me to do? If we do not know what that burden is, again, we aren't sure of it. We need to act in a way of what God is calling us. But if we do know what that burden is, before we take the first step to act, we must define what it is. One author said it this way, if you can't define it, you can't do it. If you can't define it, you can't do it. This doesn't mean that the vision may not change over time. But we start with basic knowledge of the good work that God has for us. And then we see this also in Scripture. We start with a basic vision of what God has called us to do. And then we begin to move. And then God may change it. But if he changes it, we move with him. We don't plant our heels in the ground and say, no, God, this is not what you called me to do. We just looked at it in our men's Bible study, Genesis chapter 12. God called Abram to leave everything familiar, to go to a place that I will show you, he says. And we might say, well, God didn't define that vision very clearly. Yes, he did. Leave that, leave there, go, and I'll show you on the way. That's a clear, defined vision. We want it a little clearer, though, don't we? Let me just ask you. You don't got to raise your hand, but think about this. God miraculously shows up to you one morning. Okay? You don't die of a heart attack instantly. You're able to actually have a conversation with him. God shows up to you in, in, just in a moment and says, hey, I need you to sell your house. I need you to leave all your immediate family. You can take your wife and your kids if you have them. But you need to leave your parents, your grandparents, leave everybody. You need to go to a place that I'll show you. I'm not going to tell you what that place is yet, but you just start going and I'll show you on the way. Can I just be real as a pastor this morning? I've always tried to pray, God, if you open a door, I'll go through it. I don't care what it is. Missionary, church planner, pastor, lay person, whatever. I don't care. I'll do it. But I've got to be real with you. If God showed up tomorrow morning and told me that, I'm just being honest, there'd be a little bit of a, mm, really? Like, you really want me to do all that? I'm just being real. I don't know that I would just jump up and go, well, honey, we're off. Could you imagine telling your wife that, guys? Listen, honey. We're going to go. We're going to sell our house and everything. We're just going to go. Where are we going? I have no idea. What do you mean we have no idea? We're not going. Do you have an idea? I don't know. We're just going to go, and God's going to show us. I, one story, of, uh, I shared it before, of a speaker that literally sold everything, went to Hong Kong for a few months, believing God called him to be a missionary there, wasn't sure if God called him to be a missionary there, went to Hong Kong, sold everything they owned here, everything, because they didn't want anything to pull them back if God wanted them to stay. They were there for about a year or so, and then they decided, God let them, that no, this isn't really, I want you to go back. I've got a different thing for you, but I needed you to come here to see this. So God sent them back, and they came back. And it's amazing. People are like, that's so foolish. You sold everything. You got rid of everything. You had to go get all that stuff again. And they were like, no, it's not. It's just temporal. It doesn't really matter. See, sometimes God will give us a clear vision, but it won't be as clear as we want it to be. He'll say, just go, and I'll show you. You might have a coworker that doesn't know Christ and you are scared to death to witness to them. His call for you then is just to go to them. And you might say, well, I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know how I'm going to say it. Just go. Just go. Take that first step and I will give you the words to say. We must, as best as we can, with the knowledge that we have, define the vision as clearly as we can. Nehemiah's vision was simple and direct. What was his vision statement? Send me to Judah that I may build it. Send me to Judah that I may build it. 
So we seek God faithfully. We define our vision clearly with the knowledge that we have. We are willing to change. We're willing to adapt that vision. We're willing to adjust it as God gives us more knowledge and leads us in more ways. But we're setting out with what we know to do. Thirdly, we make plans carefully. We make plans carefully. Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 6, as we continue our reading. And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, For how long shall thy journey be? And when wilt thou return? So he's asking him two things. How long are you going to be gone for? When are you coming back? Isn't that interesting? What does that tell us about the king's relationship to Nehemiah? He cares for him. He, seemingly, he wants him back. He wants him to return. He goes on to say uh, this. So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. He told him, okay, this is how long I'm going for. This is what I believe I'm going to be doing. This is how long it's going to take. Verse 7, moreover, I said unto the king, if it please the king, let letters be given to the governor beyond the river that they may convey me over till I come into Judah. And then you get into verse 8, and he's basically asking for specific things, timber, the ability to cut down in the forest, and all these kind of things for resources. Here's the key. The king showed Nehemiah favor, right? Would you agree with that? Shake your head yes if you agree with that. The king showed Nehemiah favor, okay? That's an amazing answer to prayer, isn't it? Do you ever read this and just stop, or just keep reading and just keep reading, and then you never stop to go, wait a minute, God answered Nehemiah's prayer. And isn't it like God to not just answer his prayer in the most minimalistic way, but to go above and beyond? What was Nehemiah's real prayer? I want to have favor in the heart of the king. Why does he want favor in the heart of the king? To go back to Judah to do this great work, this good work. And he goes before the king and he prays. And the king says, what do you need? And Nehemiah tells him. And then he basically says, okay, that's fine. What else? And so Nehemiah says, I need these letters, and I need permission to cut down the wood, and I need this, I need this. Good, great, go. Hey, whatever you need, you got. Isn't it amazing how God, when we pray for something, he doesn't just do what we ask. He does so much more than we can even imagine. You ever have God, you pray for something down here. God, listen, all I'm asking for is this. And then he does that, and he does like 10 times that, and you feel like a spoiled kid. Like, I didn't even ask you for that, God, and you did that. I didn't even ask you to do that, and you did that. And that's how God is. He will go above and beyond. Why? Because it's not our work, it's his. And he knows, if I give you favor in the heart of the king, I know you will go faithfully and do this work. I will give you the strength. I will give you the resources, and then I will be glorified. And see, that's the point. God is going to be glorified. When, God, when the king asks, what do you need? Nehemiah was not left speechless. He knew what plans he had set forth. He had a thought on his mind of what he needed, and he encourages the king in these needs. The king here, or the key here, is Nehemiah waited on the Lord, but was not inactive. Nehemiah waited on the Lord for four months, but was not inactive. He knew what his next steps were going to be. And again, this does not mean that he knew every bump in the road along the way. So many of us, we sit on our hands until we can map it all out. No, 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 it's not what we're saying. We're saying we define the vision clearly, and then we make plans as God gives us wisdom and opportunity. God, this is what I believe you're calling me to do. So if the opportunity comes, A, B, C. This is how I feel you're leading me, and I'm going to do this thing. And then along the way, God throws something in the way, or there's something that comes up, or we're going to talk about it next week. There's opposition that comes. We don't need to plan all that out. We're just saying, God, I'm planning with what I know. And what have I always said? I believe it's true in my life. I hope it's true in yours. Whenever we make plans for what God is leading us to do, we always make it in pencil. We don't write it in pen. 
Because we write as best we can. God, I believe this is what you're leading me to do. And then maybe a year or time or months goes by and he goes, yes, we're going to do that, but I'm changing this. Okay, God, I'm just going to go with it. I'm going to write it in pencil. I'm going to be flexible here, God. But I'm going to make plans the best I can with what you've given me. This is exactly what we're called to do as followers of Christ as well in the area of discipleship and service to the Lord. Jot it down. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 30. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 30. Here we read that Jesus is speaking about who doesn't, before they set out on an endeavor to build a building or to do this great work, doesn't sit down and count the cost first so that they're able to finish. What Nehemiah is doing here is he's counting the cost. He's laying out the plans. He's trying to come up with a solution to the situation to say, this is what I believe will work. And then all along the way, he's trusting God to do what God can only do. You see, Nehemiah is on his way to Jerusalem. He has the resources of the king given to him. He has the heart of the king behind him. He has all these things available to him. And when he gets to Jerusalem, he takes time and he inspires the people passionately. You see, we seek God faithfully. We define the vision clearly. We make plans carefully. But then we inspire people passionately. Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 17 Jumping ahead a little bit in the reading, but look at verse 17. Then said I unto them, him speaking to those in Jerusalem, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste, and the gates thereof are burnt with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Verse 18. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, and also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. Man, do you get the connection here? Nehemiah gets to Jerusalem, and he's inspiring the people. He says, listen, you see the burden. It's all around you. It's obvious. And then listen, our God is with us. And you know how I know my God is with me? Because this is how he worked in my life. This is what he did on the heart of the king. This is why I'm here. And can you not see that God is for this good work? And so we need to get our hands busy. We need to get going on the good work because it's God's good work. And he's going to equip us and strengthen us to do this thing. We need to get busy doing his work. See, Nehemiah didn't just get there and say, hey guys, if you want to join me, you can. If not, that's fine. Man, he shared his heart with them. And he shared God's heart with them. Nehemiah shared with the people the reality of the need, the amazing presence of God that brought Nehemiah to them, and the fact that they can do this good work. Isn't that the most encouraging thing? To know that somebody believes in you that you can do it? I, I truly believe encouragement is, is lacking in our world today. I'm not talking about flattery. I'm not talking about false encouragement where we just try to like flatter people so we get what we want from them. I compliment you so you compliment me. I say, hey, that's a nice shirt, Lance. So Lance will say to me, hey, I like your sweater. That's not, that's not encouragement. That's not, no, that's, that's just false encouragement. That's pride, really. I want to get complimented, so I'll fish for one somewhere. It's not this idea of flattery where we just kind of try to build people up and then they go, man, that guy really likes me. I'll do this for them. Or she really thinks this of me. I'll do this for them. No, it's true encouragement. It's saying, listen, I believe by God's strength and his backing and the fact that he's got this good work under control, we can do this. Let's get busy doing this. You can do this. Man, I think we need that in our world today. I think we need that in the church today. He was passionate about the good work and knew that the people needed to share in his passion. But there's a key here we have to understand. 
As much as Nehemiah was passionate, he couldn't do the work by himself. He understood that he needed the people to come alongside and help in the work. He couldn't build the walls by himself. But see, that means the people had to make a choice for themselves if they were going to get involved or just sit back and wait. We must note that when we share our burdens, some will join in, others will mock, some will wait. But the choice is theirs to make. It's going to get frustrating when you share your burden in your heart for some, with, some, with someone for someone and they don't share your burden right away. Don't buy the Satan's trick. Don't buy the enemy's trap where you start to rip them up and tear them down because they have not got to a point where they share your burden yet. It's something we do all the time. Well, yeah, but if you were really, you would share in this with me. And we almost kind of guilt people into it. Now, it's clear. Again, we're not talking about the sharing of God's word with others to make disciples. Jesus made that clear. We should all, as followers of Christ, share in that burden. But when somebody is struggling in that, the key is not to beat them up. It's to try to encourage them with who they are in Christ, and they know they can do this thing. And we have to understand this. It's not about trying to force someone to do anything. Nehemiah shared, this is what God is doing, and the people said, let's go. You see, the people had a choice to make. And if I can encourage us today, we have a choice to make. Christ shared his passion for the lost with us. And we see a world lost and undone all around us in sin. So the question I have for you is, will we follow Christ's passion and get involved? Or will we sit back and choose to just focus on ourselves and what we want? The choice is ultimately yours. He gives you that choice. Will you follow or will you focus on you and, and get more concerned about your own things or will you share in the vision and the passion of Christ that he has for the world around us? I'm going to ask you guys to bow your heads right to where you are and just continue to seek the Lord. As you begin to pray there where you are, I pray that we would know, first and foremost, that we would know Christ is our Savior. I pray that we would know that we've received Christ for ourselves, that we've received him and his his love and his gospel and his grace is a forgiveness of sins. That we, at some point in our life, we repented of our sin and we trusted in Christ to forgive us and to bring healing into our lives. That we repented of our sins and realized that we were guilty of violating the law of God. That we broke his laws. That we were guilty under the weight of sin. But that in his goodness and his grace, he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for our sins to be buried in a borrowed tomb, and to rise again on the third day. And that now anyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of sins can be saved, will be saved. And not just saved in this life, and not just saved until we screw up at some point, we are saved for eternity because he holds on to us. That we have a confident hope that when we leave this world, we will know that we, are, we, we will be with him. We will be in his heaven forever. As you have your heads bowed there and your eyes closed, maybe there's somebody here this morning that doesn't know that, that has never received gospel for themselves. Maybe they think that, you know, they've, they've allowed the hypocrisy in the church to detract them from the truth of the gospel. Maybe they've been hurt by the church or hurt by believers. Maybe they just think it's all silliness and foolishness to even believe in such a thing. If you're here this morning and you've never received Christ for whatever reason, whatever it is that's holding you back, I, my prayer for you is this, that you would just merely allow God to speak into your heart and into your mind.
that you would right now, right there where you are, that you would just pray, God, I don't know if everything this guy says is true. God, I don't know if this gospel is really real. But there's a part of me that wants to know. There's a part of me that wants to know if this is true. There's a part of me that wishes it was true, that I could receive Jesus Christ, repent of my sins, and be forgiven of all my wrongdoing and have a confident hope that when I leave this world, I don't have to wonder about the afterlife and what comes next. I have a hope that I'll be with you, not because of what I've done, but because of what you've done. If you're here this morning and that's you and that's your heart, maybe you would spend just a few moments this morning praying and asking God to speak to you in that way. That you would tell God that that you're open. And maybe this morning you would receive Christ right there in your seats, right there where you are, in your heart, that you would just pray and ask him to save you from your sins. If you're here this morning and you're a believer, you're a follower of Christ, you've received him for yourself, that you know that you know Christ, then maybe you would ask God, God, there are times in my life I don't share the passion for the lost, the passion for those in need as you do. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen that in me, that you would open my eyes to the need around me and that you would that you would give me a greater passion for them, for the lost. That I would know that the love that I've received, I can give to someone else. The grace I can give to someone else. The truth I can give to something else, someone else. So as a believer, maybe you would pray this morning, help me to know the good work that you've called me to, whether it be sharing the gospel with those in need, or on top of that, maybe there's some specific burden that you have for me. And then once you have that burden, maybe you'd pray, Help me to seek you faithfully, Lord. Help me to define the vision clearly. Help me, Lord, to plan according to your wisdom. And help me to inspire others, not by guilt or by shame, but by encouraging them in the truth of God's word that it's possible it can be done. Because your work is the good work, and you've given us the strength to do it. Father, may you be glorified in all that is said and done today as we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we sing a song of invitation? Would you respond as the Lord gives you leading? Maybe you want to come and pray. There are those in the front that would love to pray with you. Would you respond to him this morning as we pray?